Fundraising everywhere. 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 Here's the intro. Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a free glimpse of one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yeah, go to fundraisingeverywhere.com and use the code FEPODCAST to get 50% off any of our tickets. This is the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. Uh, You're all very welcome. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Simon Scriver. If you don't know me, I am one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus, uh, along with my partner, Nikki Bell. Um, And we do various things on this podcast. We give you snippets of sessions and we do some interviews and stuff like this. But today what we're doing is we are looking back uh, at our event. So after our events, we like to have a look back and kind of figure out what we got out of it. Um, And so today, joining me to look back at our art summit from 2021, uh, the art summit that only took place in December 2021, is our curator uh, and what co-owner of the art summit. It's Dana Seagal. Hello, Dana. Hello, Simon. As always, it's good to be back on a podcast with you. I know. Isn't it it weird? And what's really strange is that this is is a different podcast. Yes, it is. We're crossing podcasts now. Amazing stuff. Which is nice, but nice, nice to bump into you on this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Nice to see you in the ether of the internet. No, it's really oh. good, and it's nice. Actually, I've been. It's it's come at a really good time because I've been reflecting on the summit a bit. Actually, in terms of it's just yeah, just you know, we sort of did the summit. Then there's that natural break around the end of um, December that everybody has, but. Now's been a nice time where I've been thinking, oh, I wonder what stuff that I picked up at the summit I've been embedding a bit into my practice Ooh. or recommending with people and stuff. So it's a nice time to be chatting about it. Because it, it very you're very much back at work now, aren't you? Like it's the Christmas break is well and truly done. And well, even, even we're beginning to think about this year's art summit. Like even we're looking forward to the next one. So I think it is important that we draw a line under the last one, even though it is still available for people to... Uh, watch back on so please do check that out a link in the description but I think it is important that we look back and and see what you thought of it and Mm. this because the first year was very much COVID hitting and I think we expected this this one to be COVID coming back and in a way it is your your theme was disrupt what Mm. did you mean what did you mean by that was that disruption now that we're back to work it was kind of, I suppose what was quite interesting was, again, when we spoke about the 2021 summit, half mm. having done the 2020 summit, mm. um, which felt very responsive and like the first gathering of people globally to go, wow, this has really affected arts and culture. What can we all learn from each other? Having been in slightly different places globally at different times with its impact I think we definitely thought that 2021 would be an opportunity to just do a bit of distant reflection of what a time that was back then and how did we cope and what have we learned? 
But actually there was just this feeling of like, okay, we're still living through this pandemic. Um, we are adjusting and modifying our lives with this disruptive technology in the way that we work, but also that there is this huge disruption to old power versus new power. And we're seeing activism in the face of social justice and environmental justice. And that that in a good way is disrupting the systems and cultures that we work in. So disrupt felt like the best overarching theme. And I definitely think one of the key things that we wanted to bring was really new perspectives, new voices, new speakers who haven't been featured on that platform before in order to, again, disrupt people's thinking and practice. So a kind of thematic to what it meant, but also in its intent as well. God, it's like it's like you're talking about art. It's quite beautiful. <laughs> but the, yeah, I, I mean, I, th I don't think there's anyone on this who felt who hadn't felt disrupted in the last couple of years. And mm -hmm. but your speakers, I always love seeing your speaker line because I've never like I, I don't work much in the arts sector around fundraising. I've never really worked in arts fundraising, although I've done some work with arts fundraisers. But there's always some very new names in here, mm. you know, some classics, some classics yeah. like Bernard and Kate Larson. I recognize yeah. Claire Warner. I always love speaking, but yeah, there, I mean, I mean, one of the names that stood out was the vacuum cleaner. We had, <laughs> it, was first, it was the first time we'd had the vacuum cleaner, any vacuum cleaner on. We, um, we invite, we invited Henry Hoover, but we, <laughs> we couldn't afford him. He's quite expensive. Henry Hoover. Yeah. No. <laughs> Unknown vacuum cleaner. Who is the vacuum cleaner? The vacuum cleaner is uh, an artist who goes by the name the vacuum cleaner, but is also known as James Leadbitter. And one of the big pieces of feedback that we got from the 2020 Art Summit was how much fundraisers enjoyed hearing directly from artists. Mm. So we wanted to make sure that we had a very artist forward panel as part of this year's program. So Vacuum Cleaner came on to a panel discussing, discussing equity, allyship and action and fundraising. And he's an amazing thinker. He's a very radical person. And I think bringing that very radical perspective as opposed to maybe more progressive or conservative ideas that we might be used to in other conferences was really important and talked a lot about disability justice and his experience of the mental health system and how that informs a more progressive and just practice in his work as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, an interesting name, but also very, very interesting content and had a lot of interesting stuff to say about what would it be like if we redesigned funding systems in a more just way and, and just bringing that kind of lovely, fresh perspective that you can only really get from an artist in our world um, to, to help people think a bit more about how to do things differently and to be a little bit more radical in their practice as well and introduce some of those concepts and ideas. So, yeah. It was, it was fascinating. And I saw some of his work and, and it was radical, like almost like quite it was very good some of it sh shaking up things but he talked a lot about mental health and he you know he obviously cares about that area he was saying that 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 pointed out that there aren't really any organizations in the arts sector and especially in arts fundraising that are actually run by people um you know with lived experience absolutely and it's i think it's a real challenge and a lot of the people that are on that panel are people who have various lived experience of marginalization. But the question to them was never like, how do we replicate your experience? It's just how do we become better allies to 
people like you. And I definitely think the representation issue is a huge one in the arts Mm. Um, and our perceptions of, and again, this was such an interesting one from that panel that Asma brought at the very beginning and saying, you know, this idea of minority is actually a bit of a myth. Like she doesn't live in a world of minorities. She is a global majority person. There's actually more diversity than we acknowledge. So it's just this idea of kind of removing some of those terms or reframing some of the ways that we think about problem and solution in fundraising as well. This idea that like a lack of representation or minorities is a problem that we need to fix. Again, just being a better ally by reframing that and telling a different story and a different narrative really aligns with a lot of the work that I know you guys support through, for example, community centric fundraising and stuff like that. So Mm. big themes basically. And I think that panel that panel discussion at the end of the day was definitely had the strongest feedback from people in the room as well, in terms of just the impact of that coming together of artists and talking about those subjects. And I think something that I would love to see in other conferences more is again, more interesting space and time for those conversations as much as those lovely practical top tips, Mm. tools, stuff that we need uh, as we're going about our day-to-day fundraising as well. Why, why do you think we don't have them? I mean, my gut feeling is is n- n- some people are kind of not into that, you know, not almost mm-hmm. kind of embarrassed to have those conversations because it's like not professional or something to get too open like that. But is it is it also because it's hard to get, you know, uh, buy a ticket for something like that if you can't come back and say, I've learned this, this and this? You know, okay, mm-hmm. your, your boss doesn't want to hear you say that you're kind of you've opened your mind. I think I I definitely agree with you. I think it's a combination of, I think from a programming and a curation perspective, I think there's a slight apprehension of like, oh, are people going to get some practical tools or feel as though that's been worth watching and that they're left in a position feeling stronger and more equipped rather than a feeling kind of more upset or existential about the world. And then I definitely think on on the other side, there's a lot of, pressure on training budgets and professional Mm. development decisions where the expectation is that's translated into results for the organization whereas actually those kind of sessions can be so valuable on a personal level and a personal professional level that I still think it's really important to see them reflected in our in our programs as we're doing these things for people yeah and I think I guess attendees are you know they're thinking these same things they're having these thoughts in their head and to go to a conference and hear someone sharing those thoughts or talking mm. about it, it must be quite, quite lovely, isn't it? And, like, and I think that's that's what's changing in conferences at the moment is is there's more because of this diversity. It's like you're hearing more voices and there's more things you can relate to. Because very often, you know, Nikki always jokes about fundraising everywhere that it was started as like a fundraising rejects. Yes. Like, like misfits and something. I'm like, excuse me, yes. I'm an old white man. I'm like normal. <laughs> um, but it's like, it's true. It's like to give yeah. to give these different voices is something really you're really good at when you curate these conferences it's almost kind of shocking how many countries you bring in how many different voices you bring in it's it's awesome i love that yeah and i think for me as well it's probably just the it is the bit of the fun funding re, fundraising reject i really get that and it's always been that feeling through fundraising everywhere and the events that it is about platforming different voices and i do I just think that in itself has changed what people come to find and expect from conferences, really. I really do, because it's just opened things up. And I think people are now assessing lineups and assessing speakers and going, 
okay, that looks like they're bringing in different perspectives and I'm hungry for that. But, you know, that that will take time, but it certainly, mm. certainly feels like it's coming for sure. Now, you know who looks like a classic speaker, but is actually amazing? Bernard Russ. You know, he's, a, he's an old white man like me. And so, you know, he, he might not normally be the first person you'd put forward in lineup. Mm. But he he's one of my classic favorite speakers. Like the first few times I saw him speak, it was shocking how good a, a talker he is and how smart he is. Oh, he's... Bernard, I mean, I've had a very long working relationship with Bernard. You know, mm. we're working together for the last six or seven years. And something that he's never shied away from is finding out what's next. You know, mm. what's the new thing that we can support clients with? What's the new ideas that we can push forward? Because ultimately, a lot of his drive comes from a place of wanting to change the world for the better. And it's about taking some interesting tools and techniques that we might not be using and implementing them in the sector. So the talk about decision science that he presented and some of the human behavior 101, mm -hmm. I think he called the session about- Human behavior 101. <laughs> <laughs> fundamental truths about, and some interesting contradictory truths about us as people and what, what happens is, yeah, is a disruptive, but he manages to disrupt thinking in a really, really personable way, in a really engaging way, and that's what makes him such a great speaker, such give, an iconic speaker. Give me an example, because you're into all that behavioural shit, aren't you? So, like, yeah, I certainly am. In fact, yeah. our first podcasting moment together was back about. Yeah, we were talking about that, and the and the first session you presented at fundraising everywhere. You that's were talking, right. And some of the stuff in that, I was still, I still think about it, like, oh. That's what my brain is doing. Give me an example of one of these things that you that you love. My favorite example, and I think it's a good example because it's one of those that all fundraisers know, but they don't realize is kind of decision science is, mm. is the concept of social norming or social proof that we're more likely to do something if we see other people who we perceive to be similar to us to be doing it. And the interesting thing about that is we go, okay, you know, that makes sense. I get that. Like, of course, I'm going to do what someone else like me is going to do. But the actual cognitive bias of it is that we will often override our own decision making just to do what other people are doing as well. Mm. So a good example of this throughout the pandemic was panic buying. You know, People would see other people panic buying. And even if they were like really rationally going, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't believe this is necessary. Mm. just by the sheer force of that many other people doing it they went out and did it as well which mm. is why it was things like particular products like long life pasta or just the most kind of like random it. stuff you didn't necessarily need to stock up on people just followed because they saw other people do it so that to me is one of those typical things where you go wow i'm not in control of my mind my mind is in control of me like it's God, not scary <laughs> i know um, but we need to be aware of it because we're dealing with fallible, irrational humans in the in the business of fundraising. That's what we're doing. We're in the emotions game. So we can't be thinking about things too logically and too rationally a lot of the time. And, and as fundraisers, we need to tap into that. We need to. Absolutely. Is it is it manipulative? That's what mm. um, Clay, Clay, who, T. Clay Buck, who was also yes. he was talking about emotions and empathy, but he was talking about uh you know well questioning sometimes are we manipulating donors or are we influencing donors what was what was his what was he getting at it's so 
I'm so glad Clay did this session. It's something that we've been talking about for a long time because mm. he's such a big theatre buff and so am I. We both studied theatre and we both ended up in the fundraising world. Yeah. And I'll never forget when we were just having a little bit of a joke, I think, on Twitter about, oh, well, what would the theatre greats say about these things? And he went, actually, this is this is a session. There's something really theater great. So it's theory from like Antonin Artaud and Bertolt Brecht, and he just smushes it all into this brilliant 20-minute session, basically exploring and blurring the lines because, you know, there's a lot of similarities between theatre and fundraising about what we perceive to be real or not about, as you said, emotion, manipulation, sense of identity that we can learn. And to me, Clay's session is kind of peak art summit. It's literally yeah. bringing artistic theory with how can we make this interesting, relevant and a piece of learning for fundraising. So there was lots of really interesting stuff that in there that he talked about where, you know, we might be referring to the Ken Burnett's and the other fundraising theorists of this world, but actually it's really interesting to learn from artists and artist practitioners to inform our practice as well. So awesome session by Clay. It's good, isn't it? It's fun, like, it's, um, the, you say that about like the art summit, summing up the art summit, but it, there is a feeling about this conference that, you know, his session was called a fundraising of cruelty. <laughs> there's, there's, there's like these little artistic elements in it. Like the, I, I love, I like, like our virtual museum that Derek Humphreys curates. Yes. But, you know, it's just a little bit of art, a little bit, of, a little bit classier than our other events on fundraising. <laughs> oh, um, any other highlights for me from the event? Any other speakers really stand up for you? Um, I mean, so they're all great. Obviously, I'm just like asking you to pick your children. But what, what, I know. what, what stayed with you? Well, things that really stayed with me, it's one thing we were really keen to bring into the program this year was a discussion about different types of money. So, you know, Usha doing a bit of an intro session on how to engage mm. crypto philanthropists, looking at blockchain and NFT and all of these really interesting implications as art and culture changes into a metaverse. What does that mean in terms of our fundraising as well? So I think that sort of stuff, again, is the sort of programming where we'll probably look back on it, Simon, in 10 years' time and go, oh, was that the first conference that actually spoke about cryptocurrency yeah. wow. in that way, you know, when it would when it will be oh so normal in the future. So I think for me that was a really nice highlight. And just as someone who's generally spooked by a lot of these terms, I found it extremely helpful to just go, okay, which bits of this are relevant and what do I need to understand on a basic level to just start to assess how I might support people to explore these routes of fundraising. So that was super interesting. Um, and then it's funny to think, can I just say that it's so funny yeah. what you're saying there about looking back and it's the first time NFTs or blockchain was kind of at one of our conferences. Eventually it's, it's going to be, you can't imagine a conference without it. And I, I guess that must have happened when like um, SMS came in and when like yes. email came in. It's like, oh yeah, I don't know if this will catch on. Exactly. Facebook fundraise, you know, it's just like, it's just, you know, the fact is our channels change as the world evolves, our channels change. And that's what's so nice as well about, I think, some of the classic stuff that we learn about in terms of psychology, in terms of storytelling, like a lot of that stands, but we've also got to keep abreast of the different channels through which we're going to reach these people and tell these stories and engage them emotionally. And if we're saying, and also the different types of currency we're going to be receiving, basically. So it's, you know, I think these things are complementary. I don't think they clash. I think we yeah. can exist in a world where we can still develop our 
basic theory, but also learn about all these new interesting channels and mechanics and ways of giving as well. But would you think in, in say, the arts fundraising or in fundraising in general, we have to take blockchain seriously? We have to take NFT seriously? Do you think it's like, do you think without a doubt it's here, it's here to stay? Well, I think it's, people are probably in denial if it hasn't already happened, if they think it hasn't already happened in some way. Like there is already a community of people who are extremely invested, both emotionally and financially in the blockchain and in NFTs. And the fact is it is another artistic vehicle. So whether it becomes a part of our fundraising or not, it is likely that the organizations that we work for will start to be looking at programming or commissioning artists in those digital spaces. So Mm. it will have an implication on our work, whether it's the actual fundraising or whether it's the type of stuff that we're trying to seek support for to develop. So it's quite interesting. So I do think it's here to stay. Um, I don't know if it will 100% take over other types of currencies and monies, but I definitely Mm. think it in the same way that I'm just not going to be that person who said, yeah, it's never going to happen. And then in 10 years time go, oh, I really shouldn't have said that on that yeah, podcast, yeah. Simon. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, yeah even, even if we're not hands on with it, it's like Usher, Usher introduced me to the phrase crypto philanthropists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are out there and they exist exactly. so in the same way. You don't have to know about, you know, the pharmaceutical industry. There's the same way you don't need to know exactly. about the banking industry. It's like you still are going to be crossing paths with these people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Any other highlights, Donna? Anything else you you really that's haunted you since? <laughs> Something I really, I think I quite enjoyed as well, or didn't realize how much I needed was that session from Claire Warner about. If you're going to be a disruptor in your organization, you need the time, you need the energies, you need the resource. So what does your well-being package look like? And Mm -hmm. that's one of those sessions where I think I realize now being, you know, a month or so in back to my working life where I've embedded some of Claire's really practical tools and tips to just make sure that I'm managing my well-being and my time and my resources on a daily basis. So I mean, I would always recommend everything Claire does, but that session in particular was really, really strong and just came at the right time, I think, for people to just go, here's some practical tools to look after yourself because you need you know it. What? You know what? I, d- I didn't see it because oh. I'm, <laughs> I was in room one. Oh, yeah. And I haven't had a chance to look back. And maybe, like, no wonder I've been feeling shit. I, I didn't see that session. I'm the only person that didn't see that session. So I must go back and watch it. Thankfully, I'm a fundraising everywhere member and like <laughs> I can watch this on demand. So exactly. Uh, tell, tell me about your co-host because because I hadn't mm-hmm. met Emma before. Emma is just amazing. She's so young, but so accomplished already in her fundraising life. Yeah. Worked for some of the biggest fun, you know, fundraising operations and organizations cultural organizations in the UK, but is has such an appetite to bring and share learning and practice with other people. So it was a real pleasure to co-host with her. And she did a wonderful job at chairing the opening panel as well, mm. bringing together this amazing group of people from Thailand, from the Netherlands, and Amani, normally based in the Middle East, but was based out in the US um, at that time for the panel discussion. 
um, bringing people together. So yeah, big shout out to the amazing Emma Afori Darko because it was a real pleasure to co-host with her and share the stage and um, you know hear her insights as a younger fundraiser and with the experience as well of of lots of the topics that people are discussing as well and different perspectives, bringing a bit of Gen Z to the party, you know, which we all wow. kind of need too. So yeah, it was brilliant. Oh my God, we've got like Gen Z speakers. Wow. Yeah, so good. She, yeah, she was sense. great. Would you? Will we get her back? Would you get her oh, yes. next year? If she's listening now, she doesn't know, but I've recruited her already. So we'll Have see you? next year, Emma. I don't know. I haven't yet, but if she's listening to this podcast, then she knows. <laughs> well, t- tell me before we wrap up, how... how it's happening this year yes. we're gonna do it and and actually we might i'll i'll put a link um in the description of this so people can book their ticket or if the tickets aren't on sale just to set a reminder or something i don't know i'll link it to something yeah. but any anyone that you think you'd have to have at the next conference who, who's, who's the first name that comes to mind that is like oh oh my goodness that's such a question too awkward you don't have to answer no, I mean, it's, it's, do you know, it's one of those things where I, I think what was really good about this year is that we brought back a few people to build on their sessions from last year, like yeah. Kate Larson, like Claire, like Bernard. We brought some new voices in and new perspectives like Nick and Sophie from out in Australia, Amanda Marufu from Zimbabwe. So the balance and the aspiration is always about getting those global perspectives because this is absolutely what this conference is all about. So. It's more not necessarily a particular name, but just continuing with that intent of having a balance of recognizable names, brand new voices, and a real global global perspective and global um, representatives of this conference. So that's always the intent of Art Summit. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up, Dana. If people want to follow you as they should or want to know what you're up to, where's the best place to find you or get in touch with you? Lovely. So tend to be found on Twitter these days, uh, Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn at oh. Dana K. Siegel. Probably just check out my website, danakseagle.com as well. You can always get in touch good, with me there. Good consistency across the, the channels. The um, So Twitter's your social du jour at the moment? I think so. I mean, it always has been. And to be yeah. honest, the, the the fundraising world and network is so strong on Twitter. Big shout out to all the amazing charity fundraising peeps on Twitter because, yeah, they're just amazing. It's a real community on there um, that's ready to galvanize and support at any moment. So, yeah, really, wow. I do love it on there, apart from dealing with all the peripheries of Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. If you can focus in on your tribe and your group, then it's all good. But uh, yeah. Tribe and your group. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being in, Dana. Lovely to see you and speak to you as always. Yeah, and uh, if I don't see you beforehand, I'll see you at this year's Art Summit. Well, I hope I see you before. Yeah. We'll see you then. Yeah, we'll have to chat. Thank you very Simon. much. Dana. Bye. Bye.